The Bible lesson for today is written in the 10th chapter of Mark, beginning with verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. The word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Aaron, and I get to share with you this morning. As we begin the season of Lent, we're just in a perfect text for this season. The first will be last, and the last will be first. What a perfect encapsulation of what it means to come before the Lord together as his people in a season, a time of confession and of repentance. And yet this is a really troubling text for people that live in a wealthy part of a wealthy city in the midst of a wealthy country at a time in history where we have so, so, so many things that we take for granted. When Jesus says to his disciples, oh, how difficult it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven, I wonder if you Hilliard and Dublin and Upper Arlington folks squirmed in your seats a little bit, because I did. Not only because we live in the place we live in the country we live in, but I was joking with the congregation at the first service that I'm pretty sure that this rich guy in Palestine somewhere in the first century would trade every bit of wealth he had for the magical rectangle you all have in your pockets. There are things we just take for granted that are part of our experience of comfort and of wealth that even some of the richest people that Jesus would have encountered in his time on earth couldn't begin to fathom. And so when Jesus says, It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoa, I hope that gives you pause. I know it has for me over the years as I've considered texts like this. 
and when running toward kind of a literalism that says, well, if Jesus says it, he means it, so I better do it. I got tempted to think, well, maybe I need to just give away all my things. And Jesus says things like, if you have two coats, give one of them away. And if somebody asks you for something, give it to them. And if they ask you to go one mile, go two miles. He says here to this man, give away all of your wealth to the poor. And if any of you are feeling especially religious this morning and want to take the words of Jesus, literally, I'll be waiting outside the doors with a bucket. Um, and you can, you know, make a contribution to my child's college fund. <laughs> it might stir within us, it might stir within you the same question it has for Christians throughout the ages as we've read this text. Biblical scholars, theologians have been asking this question, well, if this is what Jesus says and this is how Jesus speaks about wealth, then especially for those of us who have to acknowledge that we have some measure of wealth, we might ask the same question that the rich young ruler did. What must I do? Do I need to give everything away? Do I need to give some things away? Is it okay to have lots of things as long as I, in my heart, I go, God, I love you this much and I love my TV this much? You know, what must I do? This is the question that the rich young man brings to Jesus. This is the question that we together bring to Jesus to begin this Lenten season. What does God ask of us? What must we do? And I want to kind of take this question that the rich young ruler asks Jesus apart and invite you to reflect on it and think about it and look at how Jesus is interacting with this young man and we'll discover that the young man is asking the very wrong question. So let's walk through that together. When he comes before Jesus, he actually comes and he falls on his knees before Jesus. You see a lot of people doing this. A sign, a gesture of of desire, of longing. And he says to him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life. Now, when you and I hear eternal life, if you've been around church very long, you probably right away think life after death. You're thinking about heaven. But probably, there's at least a very good chance that for a Jewish religious teacher, as this man appears to be according to the Gospel of Luke, uh, he might not have been speaking about life after death. He might have been speaking about the life of God in this life, the life that is truly life, the good life. And I want you to think about that for a second. What would drive a man who has lived a deeply religious life, what would drive a man who has amassed great wealth to come to this religious teacher, fall on his knees and say, how can I get the life that is truly life? It's fascinating, right? It's a man who has done everything his society expects him to do. A man who has amassed all the things his society would respect someone for having. And yet there's still some part of him, some longing inside of him that says, I don't have the life that is truly life. And I'm looking for it. And so he comes before Jesus and says, what must I do to get the little bit more I don't have? And maybe some of us come to God with those questions and expectations as we come into church or as we pray in the morning. God, what would you have me do today so that I could have the happiness or the joy that I lack? What would you have me pray today so I could receive the healing I haven't seen or the the provision, the stuff that I've yet to receive? God, what must I do to get more of the things I'm after? And this young man, as Jesus interacts with him, discloses that he has done a lot and he has a lot. 
Jesus sees this man come and fall on his knees before him, and Jesus begins to undo this question, this wrong-headed kind of perverse prayer that this young man is praying, what must I do to get more than I have? He begins to undo it by first addressing what the young man calls him. When the young man falls on his knees, he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, who is God, and it's interesting, right, that the gospel of Mark has been going through so much effort to reinforce that Jesus is God in human flesh. In this moment, Jesus kind of sidesteps that and takes off of the the Messiah hat for a moment and says back to the man, why do you call me good? For you know only God is good. One preacher famously said, only Jesus wears the white hat We all wear the black ones, right? Throw back to the old westerns. Nobody else is good. The gospel of, uh, or the, the letter to the Romans says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Nobody is good except God, Jesus says to the young man. Because the young man needs to hear it. And then Jesus proves that the young man needs to hear this message, this truth that no one but God is good. Jesus just quotes to him a handful of the Ten Commandments. He doesn't even give him the full list. He lists off a few of the Ten Commandments. He says, you know what you're supposed to do. Keep these commandments. And then the the young man says, I have kept all of these since childhood. What a colossal lie that is. (laughs) You all were teenagers once. Is it possible that this person had honored his father and mother all the way through adolescence? Absolutely not. Is it possible that this young man had never, while walking down the street, found himself lusting after someone else's wife in his heart? Absolutely not. Is it possible that he had not ever coveted something that belonged to his neighbor? Absolutely not. Had he always honored God and kept the Sabbath holy? There is no chance. Had he always spoken truthfully? No, because he just lied. And so Jesus gives him the law, and the young man in his pride and his delusion says back to Jesus, look at all I've done. What more do I need to do to get what I don't have? And Jesus doesn't go, no you haven't, the way I just did. It says in the text that Jesus looked at him and loved him. You know like when a kid comes up to you and they're all excited to tell you something that they learned at school, only they've got like 50% of it wrong? And you just go, oh, yeah, I didn't know that about the solar system. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. And you pat him on the back. I think that's kind of what Jesus is doing with this young man. He looks at him with love, and this young man is saying, teacher, look at all the good things I have done. I've kept all of these laws, and I've followed so closely to the things God has called me to do. And Jesus looks at him with love, and he knows that this is a lie, but he loves him regardless. And Jesus says, one thing you lack, and then he gives him one thing to do, but I don't think that Jesus is saying, this one more rule, if you follow this one, then you're good. And he tells him, go and give away all that you have, right? If you want to know what to do, then I'll give you something to do. And it discloses another thing, another lie in the question that the young man asked as he falls to his knees and he says, what must I do in order to inherit eternal life? He's saying, what more can I do to get what I don't have? Well, I've already done all the things, so... Can you just tell me I'm good? And then he says, what what can I do to get what I don't have? And Jesus points him back to what he has. And he says, what you have is the problem. What you have, your wealth, your accumulation, the identity that comes with it, the worldview that came with it, so that the disciples, did you notice the disciples have the same worldview as the young man? 
This worldview that would have been common in the first century in Palestine that says, if you've amassed wealth, there's got to be a reason for it. It must be that you were so righteous, so holy, so good, that God would honor and bless you with that gift, especially if you were a religious person. Probably scholars think this guy would have been a leader in the synagogue. So to be a leader, to be a religious person, and to be wealthy, this was a clear sign of God's favor on you. So for Jesus to point to this thing that everyone, the disciples, the young man, all believe is an appointing, a, a big flashing sign that says, I have done well, I have honored God, and God loves me. And Jesus says that very thing is the problem. You have loved your wealth more than you have loved your Father in heaven. And you say you're after eternal life, the life that is truly life, and yet you love the life you have more than the eternal life I can offer you. Jesus' questions, his comments, are poking, prodding at a young man who is lying on both accounts. Lying to himself and to the world around him about what he has done and about how good he is. Lying to himself and to the world around him about all he has amassed and what, it, what value it really has. Jesus invites him to live instead in truth. And he can't handle it. And Jesus gives him the freedom to walk away back into his self-deception, back into his despair, back into a life that had led him to fall on his knees and cry out for more, only to discover that what he was searching for would cost him more than he was willing to pay. I want you to think again about that young man coming to Jesus, saying, Teacher, look at all the good things I've done. Look at all the good things that I have. It's kind of like he's falling on his knees and offering to God, look at all that I have and all that I've done. Look what I've given to you. Look, look at the sacrifices I've made and what must I do more to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, no, what you brought is not a gift and an offering. What you see is as good. What you see is helping you is really a chain, binding you, enslaving you. All that you've done and the self-deception you have around your keeping of the law, it's keeping you from experiencing the good gifts your Father has for you. Your affection for success in this world and all the material things it can bring, it's keeping you from experiencing the good gifts the Father has for you. He holds up in his hands what he thinks is a gift, and Jesus says, you're, you're deluded. The gift you believe you have is a bondage. It's a slavery, and it's killing you. Your dutiful law-keeping, your religion, your success, your wealth, anything you trust in that isn't God is just going to bind you up and lead you down a path of self-deception that tells you you're good, you got it all together, you did great, or down a path of despair that tells you, This other guy over there has got it all together. They're doing great, and you could too if you would just shape up. Deception and despair, that's where the chains of law and wealth lead us because they cannot save us. They only have us deceive ourselves, despair of what we don't have. We see both things in this rich young ruler. And what Jesus offers him is the gospel. The good news that the chains can come off. That we can come to the Father not because of what we have done, not because of what we have amassed, not because of the reputation we have carefully cultivated, 
but because of the free gift of grace that we receive through faith that is made available to us because of what Jesus came to this earth to do. And the question for us, as it was for that young man, is whether we would be willing to be set free when we come to Jesus. Or whether the chains that bind us, chains of shame and guilt, chains of self-deception, chains of religion, chains of accomplishment, chains of success, chains of identity built on needing to have it all together and never, ever admitting weakness, whether those chains have become a warm blanket for us, cozy and comfortable, assuring us that indeed we are in control. And if we just try harder this week, maybe we'll get it this time. So the offering to us is the same. Not just when we go from not a Christian to a Christian, but every single week of following Christ. We come to this place, we come before this Savior, and we have the same offering. To lay down our efforts, to lay down our pride, to lay down our sin, our shame, our guilt, and to receive again the identity he died to give us, to be children of God. It's no mistake, I don't think, that Mark places right before the text we heard this morning, the story where the little children try to come to Jesus. And everyone's gathered around and the disciples see the little children who in this society would have been kind of even maybe lower than slaves on the totem pole of uh, the hierarchy of importance. The little children come and the disciples just think, there's no way. These, these kids have not done enough. They don't have enough. They don't deserve to go see Jesus. And Jesus says what? Let the little children come to me. And then he says to his disciples, I tell you the truth, unless you come like children, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. How do children come to us? They come with hands open, offering nothing except maybe sticky, smudgy fingers. They come with a love that is so focused and a a presence, right? For better and for worse, our kids are often not thinking about what's happening anywhere else in the world other than where they are in that moment at that time. And that's what Jesus desires for us. To come as children in order that we might become children. We become children of God because of what Jesus has done. And on the basis of our identity, which is given to us as free gift, we receive all the rest. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that does start to transform and change how we live. We receive the gift of eternal life that extends even beyond death. We receive all of that, not because of what we do or what we have, but because of who we are, and we become who we are because Jesus offers us his identity, that we become children of God. It's the one word in the question the rich young ruler asks that is correct. He says, how do I inherit eternal life? He has this bizarre idea that he's going to do something to get an inheritance. If I came to your house and I said, uh, excuse me, what can I do to inherit uh, some money from you? How, how many, you know, I'll rake your leaves. Can I get in the will? You're going to say, no, the will is for the children, right? What must I do to inherit eternal life is a nonsensical question. But he's right about inheritance. It is for the children of God. It is for you if you have placed your faith in God through Jesus Christ and heard the word of promise that because of his work, because of his forgiveness of your sins, you are a child of God. This is the gift of Lent. That we can come and be honest about all the ways we have broken all the laws. About the ways we have let ourselves down, our friends, our family, 
about the ways we have fallen short of the things God has called us to, and yet know this truth, that God loves us regardless. And through Jesus, he makes us his children, who he loves, despite all the junk we bring with us to Lent. Receive that gift this morning. Let's pray as we continue in worship. God, I pray that if we walked in bound this morning by chains of shame or guilt, by chains that told us we just need to do a little more, try a little harder, be a little better, if we came in bound up with placing our faith and our trust in our reputation or our material wealth, I pray, God, that first you would make us aware of our own bondage. Free us from lies that would tell us that the things that are killing us are gifts. They're not. I pray, God, that you would break chains this morning, that you would remove those things from us that bind us and keep us from the freedom that you offer to us so that we could live in the moment with you, delighted in you, trusting fully, completely, body, mind, and spirit in you and in you alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.